Hey everybody, welcome to another episode. This is going to be one of those mind-blowing episodes here on the Chad Prather Show, and I'm excited, and I'm going to tell you why I'm excited in a minute, so just hang tight, hang tight. I'm going to tell everybody, once again, it's one thing if you watch the podcast on YouTube or on Facebook. That's great. You're welcome. Fantastic. For us to be able to put the podcast on video, everybody wanted it. They asked for it. They like it. And some people, they're naysayers and they're bitter human beings who don't like it. And those of you, you need to delete your Facebook account and never get online again because you, you feed the cats. Just feed the cats. What I want to encourage you to do, though, is go wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud. Where else are we, Mark? We're on uh, uh, Google, Pod, Android, whatever. Yeah, wherever you get everywhere. it, we're everywhere. I need you. I need you to go download it. Hit subscribe and download the podcast. Even if you choose to watch them here, that's great. We appreciate that. But I also need you to subscribe. I put that on Facebook the other day, and this guy said, oh, what? If we go do that, does that mean more money for you? I want to look right here in this camera and tell you, yes. And that's all that matters, okay? All you got to do is push a button. That's it. Cost you nothing. You just push a button. So we need you to subscribe. We need you to mark... Tate, our director. Hey, how you doing over there, buddy? You hanging out? You, you didn't even know who you I'm were going to clip great. to. You didn't know I was coming I know. right to you, did you? I know. You know, you're trying to talk, and then you have to try to look at what camera you're going to. Too. <laughs> it's the multitasking, you know. Did you see? Did you see the uh, video that I posted yesterday? Uh, my interview, my exclusive interview with Jussie Smollett. Did you see that yet? I actually, I haven't seen it yet. It's genius. Uh, Jason was actually just telling tell me about it. I had lunch with him, and he was telling me about it, saying it, that uh, it went pretty good. It's genius, and it's genius because – not because of me. It's genius because of Jason. Jason okay. edited that thing. So we were, we were doing that. The microphone screwed up, so there was feedback on the microphone when we mm -hmm. listened back to it. Everything we shot that day, there was feedback on the deal, and we were like, well, that's unsalvageable. It's just unsalvageable. But you go back and you listen to it, and those guys worked a miracle. They did a fantastic job. So kudos to folks like Jason and Sean. And, and when, when I say Jason, I'm talking about metrosexual Jason. Yes, the and I'm one talking and about only metrosexual Metro Jason. Metro Jason, bougie Sean, and yet-to-be-nicknamed Mark Tate. You guys are amazing people. Sitting over here in the peanut gallery, we have my lovely wife, Jade. Everybody loves Jade. And, oh, and Party Foul Steve. I have my two wives. I got my road wife, Party Foul, and I got Jade. They both um, have long hair, and I can pull... Their hair. Um, <laughs> one at home, one on the road. So, <laughs> What's going on in y'all's life today? What's going on? Is there is there anything in the news? Anything? Look at that beautiful mic flag, that blaze mic flag. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's new. I'm telling you, every week. So we're under construction because yeah. we're building out this new, this new studio. And we're still in the temporary Studio 22. We got Silent Herbert the deer back there who still has not spoken. And... Uh, Every week we come in here, there's something new added. We have so many people sitting around the studio. I just like being able to see everybody. So we've added new cameras and everything. And I, I, I'll be remiss if I say, if I don't say, go to blazetv.com slash Chad and sign up so that you get not only Humor Me, but everything, all the extras on the Chad Prather Show. Jade? I really like that we have now used these seats to sit in rather than just to put all our stuff in when we walk through the door. That's what I didn't understand. So, like, for the longest time, we were sitting here, and we were just 
I was like, why don't you guys have a seat? And you were pulling out these plastic folding chairs, which are not comfortable. <laughs> and every, like you were just stacking all your crap in, in the comfortable seats. Well, that's, so. I mean, it started that way. I was just following suit. Yeah. I didn't know if these were here for just stacking or what they were here for. I'm here for. to think for all of you. Oh, God. I'm here to, th- I mean, that's, <laughs> they pay me the big bucks. Let me tell you something. That's why I make Glenn Beck money. I make Glenn Beck money because I'm here to, I'm, I'm the brain trust, this whole deal. I want you to make Glenn Beck money. <laughs> I don't want you to make him money. I want you to literally make it for yourself. I know. I know. I can't even get, can't even get Glenn to sneeze on me. <laughs> like, just please, just give me some of that effervescent anointing from Glenn Beck's mouth. So what's going on? What what stood out? I'm, I want to do this new thing, Jade and Steve. I want to talk about, did anything from the news, anything, any headlines, social media, Mainstream media, anything like that? Did anything stand out with you guys that you thought was unique in the world? Well, I think, well, maybe different for Steve, but for me, and probably most people this week, would be Jesse. Jesse Smollett. That that definitely stands out this past week. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting to watch. We've talked a lot about Jesse, and that's a, a... You said today that's surreal. Like, you can't even believe that's going on. It is. It is surreal. You know, and I told you a few days ago... I feel sorry for him to a point. I think he's got some mental issues going on. I know that he's really been made fun of. I also know that it's his fault. But, I mean, you got to be crazy. To, yeah, well, to, his to, aunt is Kamala Harris, and she's running for president on the yes. Democratic ticket. So, hey, yes. crazy runs in the family. Steve, would you like to speak? Yeah. I'll, I'll grant it. No, I'll hold it. We're going to fight over it. <laughs> In the news yesterday, I saw t- I saw two things in the news yesterday that were uh, kind of interesting, and uh, we're going to talk about China. Um, apparently, they bought a bunch of soybeans from the United States, which yes, all great for that. And then a couple hours later, Trump decides to hold off on the tariffs against China. Is that related? <laughs> it is related well, because I need to know about it. You have to admit, you have to admit that Trump has done a good job of bringing China to the table when it comes to trade, ter- trade, and the whole deal. And so that's a that's a big deal, actually. It's a. I, I thought it was when I started out. reading on it. Yeah. And, and I, the connection I see is not only are they buying soybeans, but Donald Trump is a huge fan of McDonald's hamburgers. And that's a lot of soybeans. In my opinion, not two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. I'm thinking soybeans. There's a connection there. There's a connection. Could be. No, there is. Trust me. So anyway, it's good to be back in Studio 22. It's good to be with everybody. This is a Monday episode of the Chad Prather Show. In the hot seat. I got my buddy. He just got off an airplane. He's exhausted. He's sipping rum. This is a whiskey studio, but he's sipping a little rum. <laughs> and uh, this is an apple juice studio is what this is. <laughs> My buddy Jason Piccolo. I'm glad to have you here, man. Did you have a good trip? I love it. I love coming out of Texas. Texas is the place. Yeah, I don't know how you survive in D.C. How do uh, you survive in Washington, D.C.? I don't know. Three years, ten months. What if, that's what we're talking about, right? That's how much longer you got. Three years, there. ten months, and it's either going to be Texas or Florida. I'm coming to one of them. Yeah, well, we'll always encourage you to to jump into that black hole that is Texas and just. So this is going to be a huge, mind blowing episode because we're going to get, we're going to talk about the issues here. We're going to talk about this border security. We're going to talk about immigration. We're going to talk about these things that you know about, and we're going to talk about how you really stirred the pot a few years ago, and it's a beautiful story. Because for those of you who don't know uh, Jason Piccolo, Jason, first of all, has a has a new sh- new book coming out, a new book that everybody's going to have to get. They have to. They've got to. Unwavering? Unwavering, A Border Agent's Journey from Hunter to Hunted. 
from hunter to hunted. Now available on Amazon for pre-order. You <laughs> you have been a person who's who's experienced real persecution by the government, and I want to hear that story. But but not only were you you were you were army, army you, in the nineties. Yeah, give, let's, okay. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna back up. I want you to give the bio. I'll give you my uh, elevator speech of Come who on. I am in 30 seconds. Well, I'll try to do it in 30 seconds because <laughs> it's been about 26 years now. 90s Army artillery enlisted. Uh, then when I got out, did the intel thing for a bit in the National Guard. Graduated college, commissioned as an infantry officer, and then I became a Border Patrol agent assigned to San Diego in 2000. From there, I became a custom special agent assigned to what they call a high-intensity drug trafficking area group. And then I did that for a few years, and then lo and behold, I got that a, a really weird letter in the mail from the government saying, you have been involuntarily recalled for Operation Iraqi Freedom. Hmm. And if you scroll down to the bottom of it, you see uh, signed by the president. So I did a tour in Iraq, uh, did a little bit in Kuwait. While I was training, this was the summer of 2005, and I was training in Camp Shelby, Mississippi. Quick, what happened in summer 2005? Katrina. Katrina happened. Katrina, yes. I happened to be there for that. That was fun. Yeah, it was <laughs> I saw Connex boxes rolling down the road. It was crazy. It did wonders for Biloxi. It gave it, it a big bath Yeah, what it exactly. did. And they rebuilt all the casinos. I always tell people it was like the end of the first Predator with Schwarzenegger where the whole thing is just <laughs> new. <laughs> crazy. Got back from the war. Uh, worked for DOD for a bit. And then I went to work for Immigration and Customs Enforcement again. Um, work my way up the chain to DC, and then yeah, here I am. And so you were an ICE supervisor. I was, and then I went and decided, hey, was you know, is the key word. Was was is the key word. We'll get into that. Yeah. So here, did you enjoy? Did you have one of those jobs or one of those roles that you enjoyed more than another one? I mean, like, what was your favorite thing? Did you enjoy any of them? Yes, I loved being a customs special agent slash ICE special special agent back on the border. Because I was working like the major cartel type stuff. Yeah. You know, we had two proactive groups that were. Um, so let me kind of back backtrack this for your audience. Now, you have San Diego Port of Entries. You have three of them. You have San Ysidro, Otay, which is commercial, and then there's some uh, regular traffic. And then you got Tecate. Now. I uh, peed on the Tecate plant once. I pulled. I was drunk. I was in a rental car. <laughs> I crossed over out of San Diego, and I went into Tecate, and I Ooh. had to pee really bad. It's a long story. I got arrested in Mexico. Oh, my gosh. Jason, we'll talk about this over dinner. Mm-hmm. But I, I stopped at the Tecate plant, and I was like, I think I can pee here. And I, I that's, did. That's not so, good to get arrested the, in Mexico. No, nah, it's, nah. it's, it's a whole other story. That was November of 2007. Oh. Yeah. I like to hear that story. I'll tell you. So, uh, yeah, I loved working dope. We worked so much dope. It was unbelievable. Each week would be like either 5,000 pounds of weed up to like 20,000 pounds of weed. Uh, now, when you say working dope... <laughs> I wasn't smoking dope, yeah. okay? I wasn't working selling dope. it. Yeah. We were going after these big organizations. You know, we had, and what I was saying, we had two proactive groups, two out of 10 groups, and we had about 10 guys per proactive group and girls. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, man, they worked hard. All of us worked hard. And we just go after these smuggling organizations. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, ICE, Customs, and everybody else like that really does. Anything with an international nexus, yeah. i.e. Coke, anything coming across that border, they're working it. Yeah. I loved working dope. Loved it. How uh, such a funny phrase. It's a not <laughs> funny phrase, but it's a funny phrase because my brain's just so perverted. How bad? How bad are these cartels? 
they're bad. And, you know, one of my buddies, his big claim to fame, they tell me all the time, is like, whatever you get on the news, tell them if this organizations could smuggle a penny and make a profit of a half a penny, they're going to do it. They'll smuggle anything across that border. Now, just human trafficking alone is a billion-dollar-a-year business, over a billion. Now, think about how much drugs have to come across our border, and not just the border, the ports of entry and everything, in order to supply America. We're talking hundreds of billion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Now, these are, I mean, how much is Bill Gates work, right? worth right now? You yeah, $60 billion, something like that. That's one guy. I mean, we're talking these, yeah. car- these are cartels. And we're not talking just, you know, the United States. They're flooding everywhere. Yeah. Anything and everything coming into that country is going everywhere. This is a real deal. And so uh, that's what fascinates me is when you see these politicians who are fighting this border security. They're fighting it. They're saying, oh, it's inhumane and all that. And you got some stories. I mean, when you want to talk about inhumane, there, there's some things that have gone on. I mean, you lost a job over an inhumanity that was going on, and you, you call that out. We'll talk about that in a minute. But – I read a statistic uh, recently, and it, I, it could have been wrong, it, but it, but I don't think it is. It's not far off, but it was talking about one shipment from El Chapo across the border and how many lines of coke that equaled out to, like something like 385,000 lines of cocaine. I, I, I called the Walmart an analogy. Uh-huh. You know, that, that English-speaking stuff. Yeah. But, you know, every Walmart has to have a supply of product in every small town in America. Well, you know, small to middle town. How much supplies of that you need to supply that Walmart? Now, every every small town in America, someone is doing cocaine, someone's doing narcotics, opioids, everything. How much supply do you need to bring into the country for that demand? I mean, yeah. really, if you look at statistics of what we're popping at the border, popping, I mean, arresting, seizing, anything like that, it's nothing. Once in a while, you hear about the Coast Guard getting two tons. That's two tons is like what? <laughs> three city blocks for a year in New York. Yeah. So where is all this drugs? My house. From? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My wife shakes her head. Look at Martin. You go over there. She just, she just, uh, she's like, do you want customs? Come look at you. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm, I'm instituting a drug policy with my business. I'm going to make party foul. Steve pee in a cup once a month. <laughs> I can I'm, pass <laughs> every time. <laughs> Steve doesn't touch the stuff. He, I want to know about supply and demand, and since the legalization of uh, marijuana, has that affected the amount of marijuana coming over the border? I would say yes, because you still need that much marijuana. But I mean, you also have domestic production, but in order to have production of marijuana, you need, what, three things. You need uh, weather, mm-hmm. water, and mir- weather, <laughs> water, and miracle grow, exactly. You can't just grow weed anywhere. It's not like... You can go out to these arid environments and grow yeah. weed. A lot of times, that's why you'll see in these national parks where they will have weed grows. And I worked weed um, in college. One of the things I did in college is where you do. <laughs> <laughs> I've had an interesting college experience. In the summers, I'd go and cut down these fields of weed in Minnesota. So weed looks different from the air. Right. So let's say you're going to these national parks. And that's a lot of times you're going to see a lot of these big weed grows in national parks. We're not talking legal weed grows. We're talking like weed grows. And anytime you see like a stream, river, or anything like that, you can backtrack up a little bit and you're going to find these weed grows. Hmm. So you have so much weed that needs to be produced in order for this demand. Yeah. And now that it's become legalized, you're actually going to need more weed coming from down south to get to these facilities. You know, I don't know if these facilities are um, 
facilities are buying, you know, the the Mexican weed or not. I doubt it. They're trying to keep legit. But you're also going to have everybody in these everybody in the rest of America where it's not legal. Well, what's amazing to me is you go to these places where it is legal, and they're still trying to sell you illegal weed. I can remember walking in downtown Denver, right there, 16th Street, right in the mm-hmm. heart of downtown Denver, and this guy walks past me. And he goes, "Hey, man, you want to buy some weed?" And I'm like, "Bro." I can go to that store right there across the street and buy it legally. Why do I want to buy it back alley from you, you know? Well, that's the thing. It was like, you know, I grew up uh, all over the place. But one thing, I, when I was stationed in the Army, it was Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And I was just uh, – I don't know how I was listening to NPR the other day, but it was funny. I was. <laughs> how were you listening to I have to no NPR? idea. I think my wife People left it on. My wife left it on or whatever. But they're talking about Colorado Springs where you need a medical marijuana card in order to buy weed. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go five miles up the road to Manitou Springs, you don't need it. Yeah. Now, Manitou, Manitou, we'll have to look that up on the internet and see how you pronounce it. But Manitou Springs is now rolling in $5 million of proceeds, not proceeds, but a benefit for their economy a year just based off of weed sales. Yeah. Because everybody's going from Colorado Springs and just driving up the roads where they don't need a medical marijuana card. Yeah, we were just out in Vegas and we shot an episode of, uh, of my show on Blaze TV, Humor Me. We're do we're working on an episode about marijuana, and we went to the largest dispensary in the world, which is forty five thousand square feet, and it's in Vegas, right off the strip. And they're about to be one hundred forty five thousand square feet. I mean, they're building. I mean, they got more money than they know what to do with out of this deal. So I was fascinated because I'm really pretty ignorant when it comes to marijuana. I, I, I mean, you know, and the big concern that I have, and I know there's people who say, well. You know, why don't you just you know, let's just legalize all the drugs and let people do whatever they want to do and stuff like that. And <clears throat> one, it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't because and the problem is people are losing their lives over this stuff. I mean, this is a this is a when I asked you earlier, you know, how bad are these cartels? These I, are, I, they, they, there me, are bad people. in Let the me world. tell you a story. We I worked on undercover ops for a while, and um, some of the guys bring the drugs across. Um, trying not to get into tactics and techniques of how we did things. But let's just say we were we were working with them in an undercover capacity. Well, they didn't want to pay us our fee. And months later, this is going to be in a book too. I mean, it's, there's weird stories you can't even imagine. A few months later, one of their friends met with us. We didn't. I never met this guy in my life. He mm-hmm. wanted to become a source. He says, look, you know, my, my two best friends were down south. Um, they were part of this deal. They were working with this guy named... Jose. He was actually our undercover guy. That's racist. <laughs> Jose is a great guy. Wait, his name Joe. was Rick. His name was Rick. In the book, is actually, Suave. that's funny because uh, in a book, I name him Rick. <laughs> Rico. I changed everybody's name, but yeah, he goes, you know what? They took my two friends down south in Mexico and they did the whole tire thing. They tortured them, they burned them up in a tire, then they melt them in, melted them into a drum. And when this guy was telling me this story, I'm sitting in the back seat. My friend um, Lee, he's in the book, is sitting in the front seat. And I look at him and I go, they're talking about us. They're talking about, you know, we were the guys doing a deal with them. Mm. And I'm like, this it's crazy, man. It is crazy. A few months later, I we popped another guy. It turns out an informant told us this guy was part of the uh, hitman for the cartel, one of the Sicarios. Killed 10 informants. Wow. They, they're they melting people in drums, cutting heads off. I mean, it's to them, I don't think they see you or see life like we do. No, there's no dignity to human life. There's no, no, there's no sanctity of it. 
No. Nothing. Steve, how old are you, Steve? 48 now? I think so. 48. 48. Almost 49. I mean, like, you never sit around going, I wonder, like, you, every now and then you wake up at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, you're like, I wonder how I'll die. Like, just drop dead of a heart attack or car wreck or something like that. You never think somebody's <clears> going to put a bunch of tires around me and set it on fire. Nothing happens good after midnight. So I just <laughs> I, I make sure I'm in bed before midnight. Not on the border, I should that's be a good. Fact. <laughs> oh man. Just make sure I'm in bed before midnight. <laughs> I and you know what? I uh I think about the time when I started the border patrol. I was so naive just getting out there in that border and like my friend and I are driving in a Bronca. We're both what they call nugs, new guys. Yeah. And we're driving down the road. And there's there's this guy like dirt man. He just he's got dirt everywhere. He's got his mochila backpack on, and I look to my buddy and I go, "Do you think he's here illegally?" And I'm like, <laughs> you know, nowadays I'm like I'll let's just stop and talk to him. But but like just the, the naivety. And here I am, a law enforcement guy, and you know what you're seeing on the media now is and everywhere else is they're doing what I call it hip pocket journalism. They're going out to the border. They're getting there in the daytime. They're taking a few pictures. Well, the border looks safe and secure now. They're not going to the border in the middle of the night while you're alone yeah. at 3 a.m. Yeah. Now, I, I, uh, we, we've had this ongoing, because it's a story from last week. We've got this ongoing thing that I keep bringing up on all the podcasts about this kid at the University of California who says he's going to cut his penis off if Donald Trump builds at least one mile of wall. Like any, if he builds any wall, he's going to cut his penis off. And I'm like, if you go down to Tijuana, they'll cut it off for you. (laughs) You know what? That's, oh, I got to, I'll tell you that story later. I don't know if I should tell now or later on at dinner, but the last arrest. (laughs) Tell it now. Nothing's off limits, Jason. Come on. Tell it now. My last arrest in a border patrol. I'm on the ATV unit, all-terrain vehicle unit. It's one in the morning. It's raining. Um, I'm moving on to become a special agent in a couple weeks. I just want to roll it out. I don't, I don't want to touch anything dirty. I just want to chill. The scope truck, which is night vision truck, calls out and says, hey, you got a body coming towards you. I'm like, okay. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. And it looks like a female, but it's got bloody hands. And I'm like, ooh, it must have got bloody on the, the fence. And I'm just kind of like, you know, pointing to Mexico. I'm like, Mexico's back that way. I'm not going to arrest you or anything yeah. like that. And I walk up to it, and it turned out to be a transvestite. And I felt so bad. It was just bloody and everything else and it's like oh this is my last arrest in the border patrol this is kind of interesting wow and i kept thinking like there's so many people that go to tijuana to get the operations you're just like ooh, ouch like that's like that's brutal oh and now you mentioned one mile of fence now have you been to san diego yeah sure I love that's san where diego. i got arrested in mexico oh i forgot you weren't yeah. tatty. Then, then that, that was right after they that's... passed the law where you had to have a passport to go to and from oh, i learned yeah that I didn't have my passport with me. I learned that they'll let you into Mexico. It's getting back in to yeah. the United States. It's a whole other deal. So anyway, yeah, I was now, in, I was in San Diego when that happened. Now in the 1990s, and you know, I'm in my mid 40s now, later kind of getting there. In the 1990s, Bill Clinton did Operation Gatekeeper, his administration, where they set up 14 miles of fence from the Pacific Ocean to the Otay Mesa Mountains. 14 miles of fence. And that stopped traffic. It diverted traffic like you would never imagine. Before that, you would have hundreds and hundreds of bodies running up the middle of the highway. Hmm. The other thing a lot of people don't realize is in San Diego, you have a suburb called Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. Now, Chula Vista was just a small suburb. It used to get just overflowed with, with migrant traffic, with everything you can imagine. But 
ever since that wall came up in the 2000s, early 2000s, they built thousands and thousands of new homes. Um, just incredible. Like, really, we're not we're talking like, you know, a double wide here. We're talking like very nice homes. So think about that prosperity from 14 miles of fence. And it goes to this day, too. Now, if you go to these larger areas, you erect these fences, it, the same thing's going to happen. Now, you're going to push the traffic. Uh, the, the traffic is going to go around. But I always have a solution to that. You don't have enough Border Patrol agents, enough uh, enforcement, and enough people. The Border Patrol has a, a group called Borstar to go out there and rescue the migrants out in the middle of nowhere. If you have 2,000 miles of border, how many agents would you need to do rescue efforts, to do apprehension efforts? So if you go and say, hey, you know what? If we put up fencing, not the whole border, you cannot do the whole border. I, I tell that I, I'll be a proponent to that to the, the, the well, day it's, 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 You can't do a, it. You just can't do it. Yeah, it's a fact. But if you funnel traffic, you do choke points, you can move that traffic to where areas where you could respond to it. Yeah. That's the reality of the border. Yeah. Had a friend of mine. Well, he's still a friend of mine. Uh, it was a border patrol agent, and he was he was in Laredo. He's not in Laredo anymore. He's in Arizona now. But he was. He said, "You know, you pick a guy up, and he said, put him on a plane, and fly him to Arizona, and drop him across the border there." And he said, "A couple of days later, he's coming back across the border right there in Laredo again." If it's a couple of days, it if could be the next days. day. <laughs> I mean, it's right there. And so, first of all, and I know it's because people are going to watch this, they're going to listen to this, and they're going to say, "Ah." Jason Piccolo, he's just he's just some super far right, crazy, wild. You know, you're not. Not you're at all. not. People say that about me. I'm really not. You, I mean, it's it's you know, I'm willing to have a discussion with you all the way across. But you're not. You can put me on any news station. If you go back, Google my name, you're going to see I'm. I'm I, you've been I, on them. You've been on all of them. Yeah. I know the border reality, and yeah. I know what you need to do. You need to fix it down south, yeah. and you need to fix it up north. Yeah. We need comprehensive bipartisan immigration reform, which we've wanted that for 40 years. Now. Everybody's wanted it. And that's the thing. you know. So Donald Trump ran on a platform of building a wall. And so everybody's like, we mm-hmm. need a wall, we need a wall, we need a wall. Well, we need more than a wall. We, there's a whole lot of things that need to happen because, like you said, the border can't just be defended by one big wall. You can't, there, you can't build that wall. You need addiction counseling. You need stuff here in the U.S. where, where you get rid of that, that need for, you know— I mean, later on, you're going to, I don't know if we're going to talk about it tonight, but I lost. Oh, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> I lost my, I shouldn't laugh because, man, I lost my oldest brother to narcotics. Wow. To cocaine. And he started off when he was a kid with marijuana. And people are, oh, it's not a gateway. But you know what? I, I, addiction is so weird. I could talk about addiction all day long. And um, I think we need to not only, you know, just have border security. But we need to hire a thousand special special agents. We're not talking border patrol agents. We're not yeah. talking ICE officers, or whatever, to disrupt, <clears throat> dismantle these cartels. We need to go after them. We need to work with the government. But on this side of the border, we need to do stuff to alleviate the drug problem. Why do Why does everybody need to do drugs? Yeah, I mean, there's so much mental health that goes around it. Yeah, it's problematic. I mean, you even take into the you know now you're starting to get. Folks are getting scared because so much fentanyl's coming in here, yes. and that stuff is deadly. It's scary. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that when I was younger, working the day. No. And 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 also the the opioid addiction and opioid deaths has gotten epidemic. I mean, it's gotten crazy Very. On, on this thing. So it's gotten really, really bad. I know that you've advocated uh, for things like port courts. Yep. And talk about that for a minute because that's a that's well, a big here's deal. What, you know we 
a lot of times, a lot of people don't realize they're like, okay, well, if we let people in for their asylum claim and we say, okay, we'll show up to court in three months, yeah. 90 days, they're not going to show up. Nine right. times out of 10, they're going to be in a wind because they know if they show up, there's going to be one possibility. Either they're going to get released, they're going to get their, their claim adjudicated positively, or they're going to get deported mm-hmm. or removed. Um, but if we do a port court, what we do is we send immigration judges, we send asylum officers and everything to these ports. People come up, we do their claims, blah, blah, blah. They, they, they enter in their paperwork, and then they stay in Mexico until their claim is adjudicated. They come back. And a lot of times, uh, the immigration system, now I did, I, I was an ICE officer, then I was an ICE supervisor, then I worked at ICE headquarters. There's so much complexity when it comes to this immigration system to when it comes to your your claim that you could appeal it and your appeal could go on for a year or two. Um, I mean, it's just crazy. So if they come to the United States, you're never going to see them again. Yeah. So, hey, port court, send yeah. the judges down there. We need to hire immigration judges. And a lot of people don't realize immigration judges work for the Department of Justice. They're not part of Homeland Security. So is it feasible, though? I mean, is it is it feasible that you've got that? Because I know that now everybody's talking about these port of entries. You've got places where people are seeking am- amnesty, whether mm-hmm. it's a refugee status or whatever it is. They're persecuted people. So, yeah, obviously, we've got – I've always said, look, America's the greatest country on the planet, and all you got to do is look at the border because you've got tens of thousands of people that are trying to get in here, and you can't get a single celebrity to legitimate. leave. So, yeah, yeah, legitimate. Yeah. And there's the thing is I've seen legitimate claims. I've seen – the people that have been abused that need this, they need to come to America. I'll, yeah. I'll open a border all day long. To those if people. I was living down there, I'd be doing everything I could to get my family into America. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, we have 10 consulates in Mexico, 17 altogether, Mexico and Central America. My other thing was, hey, you know what? Why don't we four deploy people down there, asylum officers and everything else, um, sign an executive officer. We're not an executive officer, but an executive um what is what does Trump do? The executive the order, yeah, executive, executive order, order, down at these and say, hey, you know what? For now on, um, you can come to one of our consulates, and you could claim asylum. You can claim refugee status. You could do whatever you have to do, but you do it down in the closest area you can get to. Right now, you have the caravans. The caravans are coming to San Diego because it's part of the Ninth Circuit. There's a lot of media there. Yeah, the closest port of entry is probably McAllen. Why wouldn't they go there? They're not doing that because it's yeah. They want to go yeah. to a place where it's potentially sanctuary. And that's the thing is, you could fix these problems, but the thing is, there's so much politics around it. People want to get reelected. Um, there's all the non-governmental organizations. Everybody's got their hand in a pot right now. And the common sense of people on the ground are like, let's just fix it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Do you see the deal yesterday where where Nancy Nancy Pelosi went down and did the little hug ceremony? I mean, they've been doing that for years. Yeah. The thing, it's just the show of solidarity between the U.S. and Mexico, and, and she was hammered drunk. I think she was hammered. Drunk. <laughs> I don't she know. was walking on those heels, and it's man, like, I got If you're gonna drink, wear flats. You oh, know? you just remind me of another story. <laughs> I, I don't. This isn't even in a book. This is one of these. This is a special exclusive. Yeah. For the Chad Show. Come on. I was um, when I was in a border patrol. I forgot. I did. A, I was a Mexican liaison for my shift. So that means I used to work with the uh, the Grupo Beta guys, which is the equivalent of uh, the Mexican authorities who, who work on a border. And everybody always wants to say that Mexico is so corrupt. There is corruption. But there are some guys and girls out there that are just amazing. Mm-hmm. So I went down to Mexico once. 
as a border patrol agent. They it was it seemed like something out of a movie where you go through the port of entry. They said just bring your driver's license with you so you can get back across the border. Never mention you're a La Migra or a border patrol. Go down. They put us in the back of a uh, shuffle us through a, a a building into these minivans, and they bring us out to the middle of um, Tijuana, mm-hmm. and we go and have dinner or have lunch with these. Uh, you Mexican see the donkey authority. show? That girl that dances with? Never mind. No, okay. that was that was the dinner. No, nah, I wouldn't have done that. Come on, man. that's gross. <laughs> oh. cheers, whatever. So we uh we go down, and man, you talk to these guys, and they are actually out there trying to stop the crazy shit come, crazy stuff coming across. <laughs> let me re- let me so we can edit that. Yeah. Like the crazy yeah. stuff coming across the border. But man, we um so later on when we came back, we saw them getting ready for their night ops. Right, guys, sticking an old uh, World War Two nineteen eleven. 45 in his waistband. He's putting on the old Vietnam era bulletproof vest, and they're going to go out there and work that border. And I'm like, do you have legitimate people down there trying to do the right thing? Yeah. And yeah, so when I see this, the, when the, the Nancy Pelosi going down, I'm like, you do have a lot of legit Mexican authorities and Mexican government officials that want to do the right thing yeah. that don't want these PR campaigns. They want to, you know what, let's just solve it. They want to solve it just as much as we do. I, I spent a lot of time over the years in in Mexico, Central, South America, all through you know that area, and they're they're great people. They really are great people down there, and there are folks that I would, with open arms, gladly welcome into this country. And I I'm not opposed to legal immigration. I don't know anybody that's opposed to legal immigration. No, I mean, you've got some jackasses out there that you know run off at the mouth and talk about oh you don't need to stay home and blah. Look, those people are idiots. Well, no one with common sense is opposed to legal immigration. That's the thing is the reality. Now, I've seen, oh, man, just some really, like, there's an awesome family I, I encountered when I was in a Border Patrol. Coming up the mountains, it was a grandfather, his son, and then his son. So it was a whole ge- three generations. Yeah. And the reason I caught him because I was tracking him out, and I smelled the father's cigarette. So I, was, I, I busted the kid, and I said, if your dad wasn't smoking, you'd probably be in America right now. But just really, really great family. You know, Jason's giving tips like how to get across <laughs> the border. <laughs> That's the next book you should write is tips uh, yeah. for getting across no, the border. Whoa, whoa, you whoa. Could, you could, <laughs> that'd be a bestseller, man. You'd, you'd oh have to, yeah, you do the Spanish trend. Steve, nah. party foul. <laughs> you ever been arrested in Mexico, Steve? No, but I, I can tell you this. The same lady that was doing your donkey show in 1990 <laughs> is still doing it to this day. I thought you were going to say that's your ex-wife or something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. You a man can dream. A man can dream. Mark, do you think that a border wall is immoral? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. I, Jade, do you think that a border wall is immoral? I do not. Okay. Steve? No. Okay. Jason, do you think it's immoral? No. Yeah. But one thing I have to say, though, is think about the how big the, for everybody on the East Coast that listens to the show. I know we're in Texas. Think about Route 95, which is one of the main thoroughfares that goes from Maine all the way down to I think the tip of Florida. Goes all the way down. Yep. The border is the equivalent of driving from Maine to Miami. Yeah. That's how big the border is. So no, it's not immoral because you can't do the whole border but you can put in areas we have it's such a problem and it's it's not something that's just going to be easily you, you can't just say okay we're going to build a wall and that's going to be that and that's going to be the whole deal you're still going to have issues uh 
you know, it's like uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm on Jurassic Park said, <laughs> <laughs> life finds a way. It, it does. does. Life finds a way. And people that are desperate enough, they're going to find ways to to do it. I mean, they're going to they're going to go where they need to go. And, and like I said, I would I would bust my ass to get my family to America. Um, I would do everything that I could because I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly in all of these places. And the cartel has become a major thing. And and here's here is the thing that really just pisses me off is and you've already alluded to it is these Americans, these folks who claim to want border security and 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 what are they doing? They're buying the drugs. They're using the drugs. They're you know, they're doing all these things and they're basically sourcing the problem. Mm -hmm. They are. And, you know. That's the. It's just a whole. I. I don't even know how you would say how you fix the whole thing, but you can't just say. I always call the the border walls a band aid to the big problem. Yeah, it's like a, a wound. I agree that with gonna, that. I agree with that. It, you're just going to put a speed bump on it, but you need to do stuff south. You need to do stuff north. You need to fix the whole problem. Yeah, it's the whole problem. And but the problem is if you don't want to work on that, piecemeal the stuff out. You don't need what the last border bill they dropped eleven hundred pages. What are you going to do with 1,100 pages? I could fix a border wall in 20 pages probably. Right. You know right. I mean? You don't need all these complex legal blah, blah, blah. You need to just fix it. Just fix it. Party foul, Steve, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I think, you know, now I feel more like that when I hear the term the wall, build a wall. It's more like a metaphor for all the things that need to be done at the border. Some of it, yes. Coffee there. It's going to spill yeah, out. Yeah. Spill it. Um, some of it Party is build foul. a wall. And then all the other things that go with that, uh, the enforcement, uh, mm -hmm. all the high-tech technology, I, I take that as when you, when you hear the wall, it's all part of those things. And let me just go ahead and, and get, a, get ahead of the curve here because I know there are people who are going to listen or watch this podcast, and they're going to say, no, you guys, we need a wall. We need a wall. We need a wall. Trump set a wall. First of all, stop propping the president up as a messiah. He's not. He's a human being. He's a man, okay? He's going to say things, do things that are not right, and he's going to do things and say things that are right, okay? He's still a man, and I know that everybody has this messiah complex. So many people that, that are just die hard. I mean, they cannot allow Trump to fail, and I'm not saying that he's failing in any way, shape, or form. But, but let this thing evolve because there are bigger and more complex solutions to bigger and more complex problems that are out there. And that's the thing. Sit people in a room and talk. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing I got to give to Trump is this whole art of the deal and everything is he wants to sit in a room with people and talk. And while he might not be the best character because he's so galvanized by the, the left, right, and anybody else in between. Yeah. Sit people in. I, I said this uh, a million times over. If anybody on the left, right, or anywhere really wants to know what's going on, Talk to the people on the ground. Don't talk yeah. to supervisors. Talk to these agents that are out there, these women, these men, anybody that lives on a border, <clears throat> anyone, and just talk to the real border. Yeah. And and don't just look for these guys that are all over social media saying, oh, we need to build a wall. I, you know, I lived on a border forever. Talk to the people on the ground. Yeah. Sit them in a room and say, hey, you know what? Okay, you so you want to pass this legislation? Okay, this is why it would fail or this is why it would move forward. Because if you don't know the reality of it, you can't just keep trying to patch patch it up. It's yeah. just not going to work. Let's talk about the reality of it. Because as as a as an ICE supervisor, 
Speaking of which, I like my apple juice with ice. And cheers, <laughs> cheers, my friend. There it is. Steve's over there drinking. Oh, you got a drink too, Steve? Yeah, look at you. <laughs> Jade, everybody. Mark's the only one. He's teetotaling. It's okay. We're going to dinner after this. We're gonna I'll make up for it. We're gonna we're gonna get Mark loaded on <laughs> apple juice and make him spill the beans. Um now I wasn't a supervisor when I did what I did. I, okay, I want to hear that story. Okay. Okay. So you are I love this phrase, you're a whistleblower. <laughs> you're a whistleblower. I want to hear that story. This was what, two thousand fifteen? Two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Now a lot of all those pictures you see of the kids in cages and everything else that people were out there, the only reason those pictures are out there is because at the time, let me backtrack a little bit. So I'm an ICE supervisor in Delaware, a uh, fugitive operations supervisor going out trying to get the criminals off the street. I saw an opportunity to go to D.C., try to make a change. I go to D.C., um, I end up being on a, uh, a White House Security Council's human smuggling cell. And while I'm on that cell... I come across a spreadsheet that one of my uh, compadres I worked with sent me. And what this was is it our, our main goal with this human smuggling cell was to stop the unaccompanied alien children problem. Try to find out who these networks are, try to disrupt them, dismantle them, mm-hmm. try to just stop the flow of thousands, of thousands hundreds of thousands across the border. So anyway, I, I find a spreadsheet where about unaccompanied alien children are like, we're talking kids, little kids, blah, blah, blah. And yes, there were some MS-13s integrated in there. I guarantee, yeah, definitely. Still kids. Still kids, but, but and that's a different story. Old because, enough to know. Yeah, definitely yeah. old enough to know. And a lot of them were, you know, you could find kids that are 16, quote unquote, but they're really like 20. Yeah. But what I saw was I saw a spreadsheet that Homeland Security took, which was 29,000 sponsors. Now, a sponsor doesn't have to be a family member. It can be anyone that comes in and takes custody of that kid. Kid here for the audience. A kid comes into the border. The border patrol takes him. Uh, our customs and border protection at the ports of entry. They give them over to ICE. ICE processes them. They give them to Health and Human Services. Health and Human Services then gives them to a contractor facility, who then gives them to a sponsor. So it's a big convoluted process. And what I saw was, out of twenty nine thousand of these sponsors, thirty six hundred, thirty four, thirty six hundred. I got to look at my facts and figures again were criminals, including sex offenders. And I said, uh, hey, this spreadsheet's like a month old. Uh, we're the human smuggling cell. Why aren't we going to do anything about it? And the it, it just seemed like the optics of the situation weren't going to be too good for the agency of the government at the time because this is 2015. What's happening in 2016 is election year? Mm-hmm. Do you want to come up and say, oh, well, you know what? The government just released thousands and thousands. Now, that's one spreadsheet. That year alone, there was 84,000 kids, I think, that came across. So you're telling me that during the presidency of Barack Obama, they're releasing kids. Now, here we are. The media is outraged at these images of children in cages and all these things, which many of which were released during Obama's administration. Uh, these detention cells, all this. It, it, and all, you know, the media is going crazy. So you're telling me that these kids are being released into the care the care of human sex traffickers. And- everything, everything you can imagine. And a lot of, uh, one thing about trafficking, I could talk, I'm, I could literally sit here for eight hours and talk about it. A lot of it is labor trafficking as well. A lot of these kids were going off to labor camps and everything that are in the United States. So, I sure. mean, it's a crazy situation. And no, like you said before, Trump is not the Messiah. 
and the system is broken. It's still broken. I'm not going to say it's completely fixed, but what I happened is I looked at that and I had access with this unaccompanied alien children database. And I had the same concerns as everybody else. Well, maybe some of these kids are MS-13 and maybe they're older. I looked and we're talking tender age kids. Yeah, I got yeah. little kids, man. We're talking two to three year old. And they, if you look at this database, you see the pictures of the kids and you're seeing babies and everything getting released to people. And you could only imagine what is happening to these kids. And I said, well, if we're not going to do anything about it, um, I went home that night and I said, you know what? I didn't even tell my wife because I was like, you know, I, I, this is this is probably it. I'm 16 years into my career and I'm like, this is probably it for me. Hmm. And I just I typed up an email to the office of special counsel and I shot it away. Boom. I tried to make it happen. Did it happen now? Back and forth, back and forth for months with Health and Human Services. Until finally one day I said, hey, you know what? You want to talk to me about it? I'll talk to you as a confidential whistleblower. And I'll tell you what the real deal is with your data that you provided. I got debriefed on a Thursday, and the next Tuesday, my detail to that human smuggling cell was terminated. Hmm. And then for the next few months, weird, you know, I started, my emails got hacked, I think, because I started. Because you were telling me you were getting like 20,000, yeah, spam like, emails a day. Yeah, it was crazy. As soon as I did one of my filings, I got 20,000 spam emails. I started like, I just, my cubicle. Like things were moved around a lot. What? Yeah, it's just Why weird. Why do you hate Mexicans so much, Jason? I that love. Is, you know what? I heck, I'm dude. absolutely for immigration. I yeah. am. I'm, and that's the thing is, I've amazing, never, isn't it? I know. And, but everybody and what, would, they want to accuse and say, ah. Oh. But and the thing is, I I've always been like when I went to Delaware as a supervisor, as a fugitive operations supervisor, meaning uh, you know we're supposed to go out there and arrest people that have warrants of removal. I told my guys and girls, I was like, you know what? I really just focus on criminals. I went and I, I sat down with non-governmental organizations down in Delaware, and I said, hey, you know what? Um, I'm not going to arrest your mom and pop. I don't have to determine the alienage of these mom and pop people that are coming in and saying, hey, you know what? We're afraid to go to ICE because they're going to arrest us. I'm like, if you have someone who's a victim, you come in, you give me their information. I won't determine their alienage, and I'll go out and get that scumbag that's abusing them, raping them, or whatever. And we'll make sure they get deported. And you know what? The non-governmental organizations are like, yeah, heck mm. yeah. But yeah, no. So I've I've always been pro immigrant. I just want sure. to fix it. But yeah. So what that happened was I I started getting targeted, and I said, you know what? I better find another job because they were going to find a way to get rid of me. Yeah, that's crazy. It's sad. It's sad. And now I'm doing something that has absolutely. You know, my whole career has been homeland security from working. Narco trafficking, smuggling. I worked the Al Qaeda stuff for a while, and to see my homeland security career just get nicks like that, and you know, while this was all going on, I, I'm not toot my own horn, but I, I just want to learn. So I got the master's of forensic science. I got this uh, doctor in homeland security type, basically strategic security. So that's all I ever wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, in 16 years into my career, it's over. Yeah. For telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, for, for really being a humanitarian. Trying. You're trying, but it's, it's, in your opinion, is that still going on? I mean, are those things still happening? Yes. Or are we seeing a curve in that? Well, or how one, is that my working? biggest thing was the vetting of the sponsors. At the time, they weren't doing criminal histories. They weren't doing fingerprints. They weren't doing DNA. I think my whistleblowing, I worked, actually, you know, and I got to give huge props to Senator Charles Grassley, because mm -hmm. I went to his office next. after Old my Chuck. God bless Chuck, Chuck. man. I'm, I'm. I give him props all day long. Chuck, 
I love you. Thank you, you and your staff, for helping me out. I love but Chuck Grassley. I do. They I um, go out and just say it. I like, I like Senator He's Grassley. huge on whistleblowers, man. Yeah. And what he did was he actually got them to do the fingerprints on a sponsor. So in 2017, they actually started doing that. And then when, it, when it, we started doing the No More Catch and Release, they started doing DNA. Mm. Now, I didn't even think about trying to say, hey, you know, do DNA. But DNA is the next thing. Because a lot, of, a lot of the stories I saw were these adults are coming across with kids. Even We're not even talking down to company children. We're talking about just adults coming across, acting as a family unit with fake passports. And yeah. it's just, yeah, man, it's still, you just can't imagine it unless you see it. No, that's a crazy deal. And you're talking about, and again, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier, because you're talking about people who do not dignify human life in many ways. You're, you're talking about people who, who you know, you're, you're treating other humans like animals, and now you're talking about releasing kids. It's a commodity. Yeah. And this, it, it's all a money commodity, and it's the optics, it's the metrics, it's the, let's just, God, let's just sit down and fix this damn problem. Yeah. What do you think is the solution on that? What What do you think? I know we talked about the the port courts. What do you think ultimately becomes? I mean, if you were going to say, okay, let's start here with with two or three things. Hmm. That is tough. It's hard. It's so complex. It's so complex. And you know, the thing is actually just sitting down and talking about it. Yeah, that's the, the only way you're ever going to solve anything is if you can get the right people in the right room to talk about the right topic. Right. Because even even nowadays, I mean, did you know all this stuff going on? No. Yeah. Half the people didn't. When I worked at Border Patrol at Otay Mesa, I would sit in my truck when I first started, and I'd watch that fence. I used to say, watching the fence rust, waiting for people. Two years later, I'm working drugs. There's tunnels in the same areas I worked as a U.S. Border Patrol agent. I didn't know what was going on. And I am a trained law enforcement guy at the border with a decade worth of military experience behind me working that same border, and I had no yeah. idea. So how is anybody in Washington that's never been to the border, or if they have, they've only been there for a photo op, going to really know the border? Yeah. Unless they go and sit down in a room or talk to people, learn. Yeah. Well, you know, you can, you can go – Hollywood has tried to – you know, take the Sicario movies mm-hmm. and things like that. They try, to, they try to glamorize it, which is a bad word, but they, they put it on the big screen and you're watching this and, and it's a big action-adventure movie. But these things are going on. I mean, mm-hmm. these, you know, people are losing their lives in a big way. And, and even more than that, you have people who are being abused and tortured and, as you said, sexually trafficked and raped and all of these things. You know, the president came out, and it was ridiculous how they fact-checked him after the State of the Union where he says, you know, hey, 30% are being, you know, one out of three are being raped. You know, these women that are coming in these caravans, and and they're like, oh, no, his math was off. It was this percentage or whatever. But it's still 30%. Any percent is too much. Yeah, if it's it's 10%, it's too much. If it's 1%. Exactly. Exactly. Man, if you saw these pictures of little kids getting trafficked, man. It just I, I, I just blows my mind. I'm like, you know what? I, I, I will never say that I did this for glory or did for anything else. Yeah. Nine, ten months ago, all of a sudden, I said, you know who? Actually, I got into the spotlight a week before Roseanne tweeted. <laughs> she actually asked me, "Hey, does anybody know about this whole kids in cages thing?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll tell you." <laughs> and she tweeted out about me. Well, the next week she did her her famous tweet. But yeah, she got me out there, and all of a sudden. Next thing you know, I'm just, I just, I'm like, you know what? I got a voice. Yeah. I might as well talk about it. Well, you might as well. And you wrote 
the book, Unwavering, and I encourage everybody. What's the release date on the book? Uh, March 15th. It'll be Amazon Audible. And then I'm I'm doing the Audible so you can hear this voice yeah, there all day is. long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on down in the basement, kids. My name is Jason Piccolo. <laughs> <laughs> and we're doing a Kindle version, too. So yeah. That's awesome. Um, I encourage everybody to get the book Unwavering because because you did. I mean, you you again, it was a humanitarian act. You looked at this thing. You saw the truth, and you said, I'm going to expose this. And you went from being the hunter to the hunted, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it was a persecution thing because <sighs> when you – I, I don't know that I don't know that people understand how bad Washington DC is. I mean mm. it's bad. It's bad. These people first of all, I know that we all want to believe that human beings by and large are good by nature, yep. but they're not. They're not. History has determined mm-hmm. that people are mean to other people. They really are. They're very greedy. They're very covetous. They're very much out for themselves, and they will sacrifice you in order to get ahead. We've seen that over and over again. There's something about the nature of politics that once you get involved with it, it becomes very selfish. It becomes, and that's why you see a lot of these folks who, if they do have any form of integrity or any heart for being right and righteous and doing the right things, um, a lot of those folks can't just, they don't hang in there. You know, they, no. they, they do their little tenure and then they get out of there. You know, we did an event last night. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz's father was there. Some of his family were there. And, you know, you got Ted Cruz who's basically saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm putting forth this bill for term limits. I'm going to tell people I don't, I don't want to keep this job. I shouldn't keep this job. You know, and so many senators now are speaking out saying there should be term limits. We should, because, listen, we know power corrupts. We know absolute power corrupts absolutely. And – the more you give – I mean how in the world does somebody go into office worth you know, a quarter million dollars and come out worth $20 million? It doesn't know. make sense with these things. So everybody – there's no one out there – if I ask any person watching or listening to this, if I said, do you trust a politician? It's always been the punchline. Mm-hmm. They don't. They I tell don't. you what, there's a lot of good people out there. Though. Not, I'm not talking politics. And they just want to tell their stories. Yeah. You know? Well, and that, and what you've said over and over again is good. You've got to get people to sit down and have a conversation. It can't be about the next election. It can't be about my power grab or my, my money struggle or how am I going to, you know, it's mm-hmm. me, 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 as many, excuse me, as many of these politicians do. Um, you've got to sit down and honestly say, what is the best thing for these human beings? I, I talk all the I mean, so since this happened, I mean, maybe some of the audience see me on Fox here and there. I started writing for the Washington Examiner here and there. I haven't got to pay one dime. I just want to fix this. You know, uh, the first 500 books I sell, I'm going to give um, the pro- proceeds to a uh, charity, you know? Yeah. I just, but there's a lot. Of, I'm not talking I'm, I'm a hero or anything, but there are like a million people like me out there that want to do the right thing and fix yeah. this problem. They are out there, and that's the thing, and that's why it's so important because, and I love the fact that, You've kind of made the media circuit. You're not one of those guys who's out there looking for the fanfare, trying to get the accolades or anything like that. It's not something that comes natural to you to go out there and throw yourself on camera on the microphone no. and stuff like that. I mean, you just got off of an airplane. You were willing to come in here and sit down with us morons, and, <laughs> and, and I appreciate you doing that because it's an important message. 
I've been excited about having you in here because this is a thing that this is real. I mean, this is a real deal. And and listen, if if you're listening to this, you're watching this, and you think that okay, we need to get six seven billion dollars, and we're going to build a wall, and okay, the wall is going to get built, and the problem is going to be fixed. You are wrong. In my opinion, you're wrong. That doesn't solve the problem. Well, the other thing is that the initial 5.3, 5.7, um, it was supposed to not just do the wall. It was supposed to actually hire 2,000 support person, yeah. support personnel, 750 agents, and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't just for the wall. Yeah. So, yeah. We are in the middle of a humanitarian crisis, and the only thing that's going to help that crisis are humans. It, you can't put – you can't create an inanimate object to fix a human problem. You can't do it. It doesn't exist. That, that, that It doesn't work like that. You could put all the technology in the air on the ground or anywhere, but unless you actually have a human that goes and puts hands on another body, it's not going to work. Yeah. And we're not talking – and that's one thing that drives me nuts about uh, – there's so many people in a board patrol that do like the board star I was talking about before – the ones that go out there and rescue the aliens, the migrants, they – if you're an evil Border Patrol agent, I'm going to tell you right now, just quit because yeah. I don't know any of them. I mean I may have encountered one here and there, but they're gone or in jail or whatever. But. I've met a ton of them, and I don't know any either. I'm with yeah. you on that. Yeah. I've got a lot of friends who are Border Patrol mm-hmm. agents, ICE agents, and great people. Yeah. They're not doing – most of them aren't doing it – they're not doing it for the money. I mean they're no. not doing it because of the – And that's one thing I brought up. Uh, I, I was on – on something the other day, and we were talking about recruiting. And I'm like, you know what? You're sending people to the most remote areas of the border, and, yeah, you can handle it for three to five years, but then I call it the border burnout. Yeah. What do you do after that? You got families. You want to raise your family. You don't want to raise them in the middle of nowhere. Living, you know, you basically, you, you have to drive an hour to get food. You, you do. Know? I mean, I've got buddies who who are Border Patrol agents. My good, one of my best friends, Chad Patton. He, you know, he's. I say he's in Tucson. He's not. He's an hour south of Tucson. Tucson's the next closest thing to yeah. civilization. That he he's down on the border. He's got a house a bit. You know, he's, he's probably in Ajo. That's yeah. where I went out there once. Oof. Exactly. And so he's he's down there doing this stuff, and and. Uh, and I, you know, and I'm watching these guys. and I'm like, it's not a glamorous thing. No. Nah, and what do you do after that? Yeah. You don't have an out. I mean, are you going to do that for 20, 30 years? Yeah. And then you have that. You're going. I love. Chad's funny. He's like, I'm a man hunter. I'm like, okay. It's oh man, <laughs> the things you learn. But the other thing is like, you got to People are always like, well, you know, you joined the military. You signed up for this. You did that. Yeah. I'm like, you're still a human being. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. That's the thing. You dehumanize. I've always said that if you label somebody that you can put them in the box, you can put that box on the shelf and you don't have to deal with them because they've now been labeled. And I'm like, I don't want to – they're Mexicans. I don't want to deal with Mexicans because they're Mexicans. They're human beings. you got to stop labeling them that way. Exactly. I mean you've got to stop doing that. We got – I mean we're sitting here in Texas. We're we're four hours from the border down here and – we have a crisis. California has a crisis. Arizona has a crisis. New Mexico has a crisis, which I'm okay with just building the wall around New Mexico and just coming <laughs> doing the whole, and then taking a right and going up just west of San Diego and Hollywood and Sacramento and San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. I make people mad when I say things like that. But it's a humanitarian crisis. It's a human issue, and um, I'm excited to, to read the book. I'm excited to read. The I'll book. get you a copy out there. Wavering. I'll buy it. I'm rich. Huh. What are you laughing at, Mark? I'll get Mark a copy. How's that sound? 
<laughs> I'll read Mark's copy. I'll read Mark's highlighted. <laughs> yeah, the audio, and I'm sending you guys some audio. I got ones. so many Mexican crews working at <laughs> the house. It's ridiculous, man. I, golly, I was. Uh, <laughs> there's so many jokes. I can't tell. My wife's sitting over there. Flash over to Jade. I want y'all to see this look. Look at Jade. That's the look. <laughs> That's the look I get day in and day out. It doesn't matter if I'm shooting TV, if I'm on stage or whatever. That's the look I get whenever I start to t- say something and she's like, oh, dear God, he's opening his mouth again. I bet you right now my wife is probably listening to this and she's probably going, what is he going to say next? She's like just crossing her fingers saying, just please. Okay, you're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jason, that's my philosophy is like I just I just want to like for me, sometimes I have to think out loud. So I'll just say things and I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, But then as I do that, sometimes some really profound things come out. I don't mind admitting that. I'll just, Hmm. you know, so so I just I say it out loud. And so I said a long time ago and I reiterate it every opportunity I get. I'm not apologizing. I'm just I'm thinking out loud and this is how I process things. But no, I uh, I love human beings. I love people. I've been all over this world, all over the world. There's no place really that I haven't been. There's no people group in in truth in a, in a, in a large scheme that I have not experienced life with, shared meals with, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I love people, and it's it's I, I want this thing to be resolved. Uh, it's not a racist issue. It's a border issue. And we are a nation, a nation that has borders. All nations have borders, and it's okay for us to enforce the borders. But I do I, – I think you and I are in agreement when, when I say it's a human issue, and you get, we need humans who are going to deal with this. We need people that are actually going to sit in a room, Yeah. and, it, you know, um, it's a whole planning process, man. You just sit there, put them in a room for five days, and say, you know what? You're not going to leave until you get something done. Yeah. All right, you and I are going to go eat a steak. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you what to eat. I'm eating a steak. I'm going to a place that has good steaks. And this is Texas, so I'm going to eat a steak as well. Texas. God bless you. I'm glad you're not in D.C. right now. I got to go to D.C. this week. I'll, maybe I'll see you out there. Yeah, we're going to see each other out there. We are. Party foul, Steve. Be there uh day after tomorrow. No. No, two days. Two days. Wednesday. Oh, no, this is, this is, this, yeah, no, you're right. Day after tomorrow. Yeah, That's exactly sure. right. Steve knows what he's Monday. talking about. That's why he's the road manager. <laughs> I don't trust you. Hey, I uh, party foul. Steve knows what's up. So the uh, we're going to D.C. and then from there we're going to Seattle. We got a show in Everett, Washington, on March second, which is next Saturday night. You still get tickets at WatchChad.com. And then we're going from there to Springfield, Missouri. Then we're going to be in Ramona, California for two nights on March 15th and 16th. And then uh, April, we're going to go back out to Anaheim, California. And uh, we're going to have some fun. Oh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, April 20th. That's going to be big time right there. We're going to have fun at the Golden Nugget Casino. Star Spangled Banter Comedy Tour. And those for those of you, oh, we're also going to uh, back to Modesto, the Gallo Center in April. People say, is it going to be the same show? It will not be the same show. We're still traveling under the name the Star Spangled Banter Comedy Tour, but this is the State of the Union show. State of the Union show. Yeah, so I like talking about where we sit right now in terms of America. And as long as Washington, D.C. is writing the jukes, jokes, jukes, whatever the jukes are, as long as they're writing the jokes, I'm going to tell them. 
So you live in the swamp, Jason. I do. You live in the swamp. Our prayers go out to our good buddy Terrence Williams, who is laid up in a Washington, D.C. hospital after a lift accident. Uh, he was in a, a lift car the other day that uh, he texted me, said, man, we almost drove off a bridge. <laughs> what? It's probably because a lift driver was laughing so hard from his jokes. From Terrence, yeah, because yeah. Terrence is a funny cat. So uh, cracked his neck. He was afraid he was going to have surgery. I talked to him. I've talked to him every day since the accident. <laughs> And uh, Terrence, he told me yesterday, he said, man, he said, this is not how I wanted to be trending on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I said, bro, if you're tw- if you're trending on Twitter, it's never for a good thing ever, ever. I've trended on Twitter a couple of times. It's never been for a good thing. And then TMZ wanted to do a story on him. He goes, when did I get TMZ famous? I said, just go with it, dude. I just go with it. So anyway. Cracked his neck, thought he was going to have to have surgery. Fortunately, he was up, uh, able to walk around a little bit yesterday. Uh, if I get to D.C. and he's still in the hospital, we're going to go by and see him. But I hope he's out of there and back in Texas. Um, so he was on his way to the White House, of all places. He was going to visit because Trump was having um, uh, a lot of uh, – he was having a thing with, with many African-American leaders that were coming in. A lot of our good friends were up there. Diamond and Silk were up there. Um, C.J. Pearson, he was going up there. A lot of different folks. So Terrence was in town for that. And, of course, it was snowy and icy, and he hit a bridge. and shoo. Ugh. Yeah, brutal. I saw pictures of the cars. Pretty oh, hey, uh, while we're on the air, let's say uh, President Trump, you know, my son really wants to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm right does up the road. Really? Yeah, he does. Does he really? <laughs> you know what he's doing? Trump's an okay dude, man. You know, I, the thing about Trump is I think Trump genuinely cares about people. I really yeah. do. I, I, he gets such a bad ra- – so so Donald Trump lives in – he's a billionaire, and he lives in this rarefied air. He doesn't live on the same planet that you and I live in, so he's had this way of doing things like and saying bubble. things and communicating things and getting things done that, do, that, that we don't relate. And so Trump, in his own limited form of vocabulary, tries to say things that, that we – if you have any common sense, you know what he's trying to say, but he doesn't always say it in the best way, and so he gets a bad rap for that. But I don't think that – I, I mean, I think Donald Trump in many ways is just honest about things. It, you just get it. Well, my son's 10, so he's like, hey, you know what? 10 years old going to the White House would be really cool. It would be cool. He, well, what he needs to do is he needs to offer to go up there and mow the grass because that kid, ah, that little punk-ass kid yeah. got to go up there and mow he the did. grass. And, and, D, and DJT came out and was like, what's up? And the kid just kept on mowing, man. That huh. was, remember that, Martin? The kid didn't care, man. I he remember like, that. He was doing a job. This kid had a work ethic, man. My, he was uh, going at it. My parents were car cleaners growing up, so I'm like, hey, you know, maybe we'll go over there and we'll clean the cars. I'll go clean some cars, my son. <laughs> we'll do it. I'll teach him the trade. <laughs> That's awesome, man. No, I um I'm excited to see what the future holds. It's it's an interesting world we're living in. There's no question about it. Interesting world. You have seen I have seen to a small scale, but you've really seen the nah. the evil side of humanity. But I love the fact that you come out, you're you're I can't wait to read the book. Unwavering Jason Piccolo, get it on Kindle, get it wherever you get your books. Download the audio version so you can hear this sexy guy. Well, my radio voice. Hello. Hello, America. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Won't you be my neighbor? I got to figure out how to do the right voice for you. Yeah. Jade, is there anything that you want to tell the world before we get out of here? Uh, no, don't put me on the spot like that. I know. My wife, I, I make her get on the camera. I make her do the microphone. We were at a, the dinner last night where I spoke, and 
this lady comes up and she goes, I love you, but I really only appreciate the stuff that you do when your wife's on the video. Well, that's not surprising. What I've discovered, Mark, is that no matter how many videos I do, like, you know, for the longest time, people would watch my videos. Now, they don't care about me. They want to see either Jade or the stupid dog, Willie. That's all they care about. I'll come out on stage. Where's Willie? You don't want Willie to be here. He'd be sticking his nose up your rear end and pissing on everything vertical. You don't want (laughs) be humping your leg. He's a 85-pound shepherd. You don't want him around. But they think, oh, he's so sweet. He just sits in the back. He'll rip your arm off. He he is sweet, but he is an adolescent. He and will he also will rip, rip your, your arm, arm off. off. He <laughs> will, yes. If so if the right words are said and the the mood is right, he may rip your arm off. Yeah. If you tell him to, he will do if it. If you tell him to, he will do it. He will do anything you would t- you tell him to do with the right words. Look at Steve. Look how bored Steve is sitting in there. <laughs> Look at him on me. Chilling. <laughs> He's chilling. Chilling. You're high, aren't you? Are you high? I wish. Most- <laughs> Better not do it. <laughs> Look at Steve. Go back to Steve. Go back to him. Look at him. <laughs> keep putting that in my face. Because he's going to go back to Steve. Oh. Look at- going back to Steve. <laughs> Look at Steve. Well, I'm over here, you know, trying to decide if I need to go home and uh, no, you let go my... To uh, with no, us. I was, uh, you know, my housekeeper. I don't know if I should let her go or not. I don't know where she's from. <laughs> I've told this story on the podcast before. So we had, we had, uh, uh, who's, uh, who's the folks that cut our grass? Or it, I know Ramirez. Ramirez. I get him confused. <laughs> Mark, I get him confused, man. So Ramirez, his crew guys, I, I mean, I live on the road. I, I look, first <laughs> of all, I'm not mowing my own grass. I, I just don't want to do it. Now, Jade used to do it. She used, it was yeah. therapeutic for her. I don't, I, I just it. don't want to mow my own grass. I don't, ah. We have a very large yard. It's a big place. So so anyway, we we hired these guys years ago, and they're the best. They're awesome guys. And she was like, this is what they're charging. And I'm like, that's not enough money. <laughs> so right. I make them take more money. Like, I, we always write the check for more money and make them take more because what they do, it's not enough. So Jade hired a company that's run by a guy named, his last name is Rios. Rios. And they were going to come and do the Christmas lights on our house because normally historically I've always put the Christmas lights up and this year I was like I'm not getting on the ladder I'm just <laughs> I'm just I had two surgeries last year and I'm like, I don't want any more so I'm just not so she hires Rios to come out there and do it well Rios while they're out there and we do need to hire them to come back out because there's some brickwork I want done right and they're good ma- brick masons and I said I said uh, they said well, we have all these oak trees they said we'll just come rake all the leaves up and stuff so they showed up on the day that Ramirez came to do the yards. And so it was literally a Mexican standoff in our front yard. Rios and Ramirez, they were facing off. They were like, what are you doing here? Like like, like Ramirez thought he was being replaced. And so I pull up. Jade's at work. She's off at the clinic. And I pull up. And 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 here these here these guys like what are you doing in my yard you know and I'm like easy guys y'all are here for different purposes don't worry about it and uh, that's fun then we sent um, we sent um, Rios around as a surprise mm-hmm. to put the Christmas lights on my mother in law's house <laughs> who's in the same neighborhood. And we didn't tell her they were coming, and we thought she was off at work. So she thought the Alamo was being, you know, the wall was being, she, she's got Mexicans on her house. And, and um, 
Yeah. Well, she couldn't figure out which house was hers. <laughs> when, she comes pulling when, up and yeah. those lights are on. She's like, what? She's like, well, we pulled up behind her because we wanted to see her reaction. So we saw her car slow down, and she was trying to figure out. We had left the lights on on purpose, and she was trying to figure out which house was hers. And she kept looking, and I said, Chad, this, we should have told her. She's freaking out right now. She doesn't know which house is hers. She, yeah, because she's like, I didn't do this. So anyway. God God bless America, man. <laughs> God bless America. God bless good people. You know, God bless good people. We we uh, and they are, man. Jason, you're doing a good thing. And uh three years you're gonna move to Texas. Forget Florida. I don't know, I like that beach. You can go down to Galveston, man. You can go to Galveston. Like Florida. Just exactly. Like I mean, Destin, Destin's Blue Water in yeah. Port Aransas. I mean, you huh. can't tell the difference. Yeah. You um, cannot tell the difference We'll see. At all. We'll see. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole... Different. Come down here and write books about the borders and like that. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Jason Piccolo, get his book, Unwavering. It's coming out right there uh, March 15th. 15th. So I love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Go to watchchad.com. Find us on the road. We're going to be on the road. We're going to be hanging out. And also, subscribe to blazetv.com slash Chad. Use promo code Chad. It'll give you, give you a little bit of a discount. And, uh, Mark, i got to say thank you for coming in, hanging out with us today. And uh, Jason's also going to be on an episode uh, episode of uh, Humor Me that, right. that we're doing. Right. Yeah, so we're going to shoot a little bit once we're up in uh, D.C. Because we're headed to D.C. this week for that crazy wild party at CPAC and. uh Jade, yes, love you. I love you too. Party foul. Look at party foul. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. You didn't tell me. <laughs> I love you. I just like. I just like how you just stare out. Like, put it back on me, Mark. Give me the vanity shot there. It's like Steve's <laughs> like. Because <laughs> all you do is talk, 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 talk. Keep all talking. You do, all you do is drive and cash checks. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. All right, we're getting out of here. I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, if you watched it, now go to where you get your podcast and hit subscribe. I love y'all. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.